Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. We are now going to continue our worship of God by reading our scripture this morning. It comes from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Listen now for the word of the Lord. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture this morning comes to us from James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by the works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have come to the end of another program year with confirmation class. This means that the confirmation class took part this past year in a deep dive into their faith. They picked apart their beliefs around God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, worship, sin, the afterlife, and much more. They took time to see what the Bible says, hear what the church believes, ask themselves what they believe and why they believe it, and then do the hard work of deciding what to claim as their own belief right now. I am proud that they have taken the time to seriously think these things through, because it is not easy. I am delighted that they stuck it through and got to this point. But, ever the teacher and pastor, I have to say, 
their work is not done. This, in a lot of ways, is just another beginning of a different journey. They have taken the time to figure out where they are right now, to claim their faith as their own. But now they must allow that faith to propel them into action, to shape their lives, and to give them direction. This is their new calling, to live the life that their newly claimed faith demands of them. Our second scripture puts it into much harsher terms. It says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? The author then goes on to use an example of a person naked and starving in the street. And the author asks, what good is your faith and well wishes? What do they do? But implores his readers to act on their faith and clothe and feed such people. There are examples of this kind of faith without action mentality that James speaks against throughout our world today. The most prevalent one in my mind is whenever there is a mass shooting. Policymakers and those in charge are quick to offer their thoughts and prayers, and yet very slow to take any real steps to take any real actions to fix the issues that cause such horrifyingly frequent gun violence, whatever they believe those issues to be. This is an exact example of what this letter of James is talking about. Thoughts and prayers mean nothing when people are dying in the streets. The prophet Amos takes it even a step further. He says that God hates the festivals, that God takes no delight in the assemblies and the burnt offerings, that God won't accept the offerings of grain and fatted animals, that God hears noise when he hears songs and harps that are lifted to God, and that God wishes for that noise to cease if the people aren't doing justice and righteousness. In fact, God calls for justice to roll down like waters, and God wants righteousness to flow forever like a stream. God, through Amos, is saying that if all you do is sing to me, give offerings to me, come to church once a week, tithe the 10% that you're supposed to, sing how great thou art, and then leave by noon on Sunday, not allowing your worship to continue throughout the week through your actions, that that Sunday worship that you do is meaningless. In other words, God cares more about your orthopraxy than your orthodoxy. Now, for those of you who might be confused by those words, Here's what they mean. Orthodoxy quite literally means right thinking. It has been used throughout church history to mean beliefs that fall within the lines of a particular denomination. There have been a lot of issues throughout church history about orthodoxy. Large issues like whether Jesus was fully divine or not and how that affects the belief that there is only one God. All the way down to much smaller issues like which way did Jesus' head fall when he died because that changes the direction with which we should cross ourselves. 
From its inception, quite literally, the church has been arguing about orthodoxy. Orthopraxy, on the other hand, means right action or right practice. This seems to get much less attention in the church, even though calls for it are everywhere in the Bible. The two scriptures that we read today, Micah 6, 8, Matthew 25, Isaiah 29, just to name a few. And yet we still currently, throughout the country, have faith leaders who are able to publicly cheat on their wives, embezzle from their church, buy two separate private jets from church donations, ignore the poor and needy in their communities, walk away from their community when a natural disaster happens, and still have people follow their teachings, their preachings, and their podcasts because they preach right thinking. Meanwhile, when a faith leader deviates slightly from what has been deemed right thinking, they are ostracized, threatened, kicked out, rallied against, or outright fired from their church or the denomination. This is shown to be true when pastors have questioned the existence of hell, or questioned the resurrection of the body, or if women should be ordained, or if LGBTQ plus people should be allowed to marry or if they question that the meaning of scripture is more metaphorical than literal, and much, much more. It would seem that the church has taken the exact opposite stance as God in Amos. In fact, if the church were to write the verse that Alex read, it would sound more like this. I hate I despise your helping of the poor. I take no delight in your feeding of the hungry. Even though you do mission in the community and offer help to the needy, I will not accept that. And the justice that you call for on the part of the oppressed, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your cries from the outcast. I will not listen to the pleas for the widow and the orphan, but let you believe that hell is real. And Jesus' body came back from the grave. If this is truly the church's stance, then I, like the God of Amos, want no part of it. We have to start caring more about how our faith is lived than what our faith exactly is. God essentially is saying something that I've heard from parents and teachers and adults throughout my entire life. Actions speak louder than words. This phrase would always inevitably follow an apology from me about something that I did. I hurt my sister, or I broke something in the house, or I did something that I wasn't supposed to do in class. I'm sorry, I would say, knowing that that is what I'm supposed to say. Then I would be told actions speak louder than words. In other words, Change how you're behaving, and that will tell me that you actually mean what you say, that you're actually sorry. Allow your orthodoxy to drive your orthopraxy. Allow what you believe to drive your actions. But there is more to this equation. 
I've continually told the youth that what they wrote down on their statements of faith was a snapshot of where they are right now, but that their faith will change. I know this because my confirmation statement of faith is vastly different from what I believe now. I also know this because faith is supposed to be a living thing. And like all other living things, it changes and shifts and grows based on its surroundings. The part of this puzzle that I haven't talked about yet is how your orthopraxy, your actions, then feed back into your orthodoxy or your belief. I'll give you an example. I used to believe that God would control the weather. When I was younger and, let's say, a softball game got rained out, I would just think, well, God knows best and I shouldn't play with my church's softball team tonight. Maybe something bad would have happened. But from living my life, through going on mission trips to places that had been devastated by floods and hurricanes, and seeing the destruction that natural disasters have on people's lives through floods, tornadoes, tsunamis, hurricanes, erupting volcanoes, mudslides, and fires, I no longer believe that God would be controlling those things. I know people who do believe that, and they believe that it's all for a greater plan, but I just can't believe that. I can't see how the devastation of someone's life, how people living without homes, food, clean water, power, is something included in God's great plan for us. And so my faith changed. Through my experience, through my actions, my beliefs, my orthodoxy changed. And this happens over and over in life. Everything that we experience goes back into our minds and hearts to be wrestled with, with our beliefs. Maybe we believe that God has a plan for each one of us. But then we see children homeless on the streets and think, what's the plan for them? and we wrestle. Maybe we believe that God answers all of our prayers, but then a loved one passes away too soon, even though we were praying for healing, and we wrestle. Maybe we believe that God is love, but then we see all the pain and suffering in the world without relief, and we wrestle. And it's through that wrestling that we change and we shift and grow. Now, your experiences won't always change what you believe. In fact, sometimes they will strengthen what you already believe. But it is only through wrestling with it that you change or strengthen your faith. Much like actual physical wrestling, if you do it enough, your body will start to grow in different ways and you'll get stronger. When you wrestle spiritually, your faith will start to grow, strengthen in different ways as well. It isn't easy, especially when you're dealing with things that you have believed for a long time. But if you don't wrestle with it, you don't ever grow, and you ignore the experiences around you. The reason your faith changes 
is because when done with purpose and intention, it is a continuous cycle. Here's what I believe now. I will go out and live what I believe. I will experience things that call into question my beliefs. I will wrestle with those things and come to new and some old conclusions within my faith. Here's what I believe now. I will go out and live what I believe, and round and round we go. Orthodoxy propelling us to orthopraxy, and orthopraxy informing and reshaping our orthodoxy. This is our calling. So like I said, this is simply another new beginning for you, and for all of us, truly. Celebrate that you've done difficult work in already wrestling with what you believe. Allow that to propel you out into the world to live your faith out. And know that the process is beginning again, ever new. And for everyone else who is not in the confirmation class, allow this to be an inspiration to you today. An inspiration to look deeply at your own faith. How would you name it today? How has it changed since you last thought of it? And most importantly, how does your faith call you to act in the world? When you find that answer, go out and live it. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.